Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. So today we're doing a fun listener kind of question grab bag, and it's our first time recording remotely. I'm in Charleston now, and Becca's still in Brooklyn. I say still because I'm going to get her to move here. Oh, wow. That's a... I. <laughs> I was not planning on that. I didn't know my life was going in that direction. It is. You're going to be a Southern Belle. I can see you on a porch with like a flowy dress and a mint julep. I did just buy a lot of dresses on anthropology this morning. So I think that I'm subconsciously heading in that direction. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. I, I feel like we have been getting so many different questions lately from people on DMs and email that we figured we would just open the episode up. And I don't know. I think maybe we'll try to do these episodes... I don't know, quarterly, twice a year, something um, to give a venue to answer all your questions. Yeah. So before we get into that, Grace, what's your high? Um, <laughs> it's been a week. I um, I think it's the move. I think my high is the move. I live in Charleston now, but also, um, and I love my apartment. I can't wait to share it once, like it's decorated and done. But I'm really happy here. And um, my other high is. My Amazon collection launched yesterday, and like a lot of the styles have sold out. Um, what? I yeah, I thought this was really supposed well. to be like really deep inventory, so things didn't sell out. It was. It was the so the navy dress and the blue caftan. I I didn't know that people like blue so much because um, I don't wear a lot of blue. I, I I should wear blue. I like blue, but um. It's it's sold really well. So That's I haven't had a call to wrap up with the team yet because we're recording like this morning with coffee. Um, so I don't know, but it did really well. So that was exciting. Sweet. So you're in your apartment now. So the first few days you were down there, you were staying in like an Airbnb <laughs> or a different house because you didn't have your stuff. But now you're officially moved in, right? Yes. So I stayed at a place called Guest House um, in – it's kind of like an Airbnb, but it's like almost like a boutique hotel with a bunch of little rentals. It's so cute. Like anyone visiting Charleston, stay there. It's amazing. And how many times have you seen your parents since you moved? Like a hundred. A hundred? I've had dinner. I've probably seen them every day or mostly every day. I've had dinner at their house a couple times, maybe three times. My mom's come in and we've had coffee. They've come to the new place. They came and... um Help me excavate Tyrion, which was a, another thing, which I'll tell that story as my low. I've seen them a lot. It's been great. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I'm so glad. Um, what's your high? I, so that's my high. What's your high? So I have two highs that are both kind of preemptive highs. So um, I'm working on this new project, which I can't really talk that much about because of contract things. And I'm really excited to tell you more about it when I can. Um, but we we being Rachel and I have a script due for a new project on Monday and it has been a full out sprint to get it done. And so I'm so excited to finally have it off my plate. I so, can't believe you're basically done with it. I feel like we're not, as I was, we're not done. It's the first draft. Okay. Well, it's, it's the second draft because we, I don't think we would actually show anyone a real first draft, but yeah. Okay. I just didn't realize that you were that far along with it. Well, <laughs> It's come together rather quickly, but um, yeah, so I have just been so overwhelmed with work stuff these past few weeks, and I am I think things are going to get a lot better after Monday, and I just feel accomplished, and I'm really excited about the script, so I'm 
I'm excited to turn it in. It's a high to be done with it. I'm I'm going to take Monday at least partially off. I am so zonked. But yeah, so that's a high. And then I'm also, I'm going to Maine next week for just for a long weekend for like a Wednesday to Sunday. One of my really good friends has a house up there. And so me and a friend are going to stay with her and her boyfriend. And I don't know. I've just, I've very much been in New York since the start of quarantine. I left for a day trip and then I, I went to Boston for a couple of days. Um, but otherwise for the past 365 plus days, I have very much been here. So I'm excited to go somewhere. I cannot wait to go somewhere. I've been like really daydreaming. Like ever since I got my- go somewhere? You just moved to a different state. Yeah, but this is my home now. I want to travel. I want a beach vacation. I want to like, I don't know. I want to go places. I mean, fair. Um, because I mean, once I once I've been living here, it'll be home. Um, I want to go back to New York and see you. I want to go. I don't know. I want to go somewhere tropical. Oh my um, god! I cannot wait to be on a beach sipping a cocktail in the sun. Oh my god, that sounds incredible. I don't think I had that feeling until I got my first shot, and then I was like, "Oh wow!" In a month, I'll have my second shot, and then two weeks later, I'm I can travel because I I was reading that CDC post about how it it's like I mean it's still not highly encouraged, but it's safe for um, people who are fully vaccinated to travel. So um, that that was like getting my my travel wheels going. Um. So wait, tell me your low. Okay. My low is a saga. I mean, my low is also the move. I'm broken and I'm like a little bit compulsive with putting things away. And I was up till 2 a.m. last night. Oh, yeah. When I moved, I feel like I unpacked most of my stuff the first day. It drives me nuts. I have so much stuff. I've barely made a dent. There's just so much to go through. Um, so that's a low, but the real low was, oh, also Tyrion is with my parents now because I felt like the move was just too crazy for him. So I really miss him. But the real low was something that Tyrion did. Um, and you know, I texted you about this because I was freaking out. So on Easter, I went to my parents for dinner and I had had the vaccine a couple days earlier and I was just like a little feverish and like a little woo-woo. And I know that most people didn't get sick from the first one. So I feel kind of weird that I did, but everyone reacts differently. And so I got home and I went to bed and I was talking on the phone and I remember Tyrion coming up and snuggling with me and being really cute. So that was like Sunday night. Monday morning, I woke up and I could not find him anywhere. And I had this horrible fear that maybe I had left the downstairs door unlocked and he likes to sit in the window and like look at the street. And there's on the street, there's like a few bars, like people are not acting like there's a pandemic here. Like there's a um, a few bars and there's just like all these like drunk teens or like drunk college students out. And I was just, I had this fear that I had accidentally left the door open and that he had sat in the window and somebody had taken him which was not the case, but he, (laughs) I couldn't find him anywhere. Like my mom came over and we flipped the whole apartment upside down. Like we like looked in all the box springs because back when we lived on Cape Cod, we had this really, really old bed with a really old box spring and he would crawl inside the box spring to hide. So I was like, I bet he's inside a bed. So we went through every bed in the house. Um, We opened up the couches and looked inside those we looked everywhere. I was like, I mean, it was like fully like probably 4 p.m. when we did find him. But 
I was crying. It was like an all day thing. I was like, he's not in the house. He's definitely out. Somebody took him. Like somebody opened up the door and let him onto the street, Um, which is just me being absolutely crazy. But I was really upset. And (laughs) so it turned out that he had gotten under the dishwasher. Like there is a very small crack. I do. I still don't know how he got got there. Well, he but is I th- actually shockingly small. He he's has so a lot small. of fur, but when you like hold him, he's very tiny. Yes. So he's like eight pounds and very fluffy. But I don't know how like his head and like his shoulder bones like got through this hole. I think all I can think is that something happened in the middle of the night that scared him. Or that um, he saw something and, like, maybe there was a mouse or a bug and he, like, followed it. I, it was, it's such a nice house. I don't think there would be a mouse. But I'm, I'm just trying to think of what would make him decide to do that. Because he actually, like, likes that house. Like, there was stairs for him. There was big windows for him to, like, gaze down on the streets. Like, he was pretty well adjusted in that house. So, anyways, the landlord came over and she's like, I She's like, we saw this like clump of fur under the dishwasher and we we're like, maybe he's back there. So she pulls the dishwasher out and she sees him like through the, um, through another little hole. And she, she's like, sees his little yellow eyes glowing and he's definitely stuck. Like he is just not coming out. He's so, he's like very scared. So we couldn't get him through the little hole. So we had to go in under the sink drill a bigger hole like a hole I don't know like a maybe like four or five inches in diameter they took a saw like a big giant motorized saw and drilled this hole and then we tried to reach him but we couldn't so her husband then comes up and pulls him out of the hole oh my god that also must have been even more traumatic for him oh my god he was so scared but he was really happy to be out and he was um so so dusty like I've never seen he looked like a dust mop like he was so dusty but I I was I don't know I've never been so relieved I was certain that he was I was like I've lost my cat like my cat is dead or kidnapped or I've he's gone I my child is gone it was so scary I'm sorry I know you were freaking out that day I was really upset it was my whole Monday but um he's thriving he's with his grandparents until I'm a little more settled. And um, I'm just glad he's okay. <laughs> What's your low? Um, I don't know. I don't have a major low. I mean, my low is that I'm really freaking tired, like bone tired after kind of just over a month of back-to-back deadlines. I'm also in a reading rut. I'm, I'm in a reading rut, not because I can't find anything good to read, but just because I'm so tired. At the end of the day, I texted you on, I don't remember what night it was, but I was like, I just read 20 pages of a book and it feels like my eyes are bleeding. Like I, <laughs> I'm too tired to read. I oh my God, I'm the same. TV. I'm still on Delicious. Like I haven't, I haven't read a new book yet this month. I know. So I'm And in the a, month is like almost halfway over. I know. I'm in a reading run. It's like bumming me out. Yeah. Me too. I know. I it makes it like it makes me like doubly sad because reading for me is such like it's usually my self care and it's how I unwind. And totally, I miss it. But I'm also so freaking tired. But then I also have this weird guilt. Like I like last month I only read three books because it was like all this all this stuff le- leading up to the move, and I felt so guilty about that. So I don't know. I don't think so you should I'm feel guilty about guilt. it. Yeah, just ebbs and flows. We'll have. 
a 10 book month again someday. Um, and then just as an update, so nobody thinks that I'm a complete monster, it still absolutely hasn't hit me that Grace is gone. Like I'm looking at her on a Zoom and I know that she's in South Carolina, but it honestly feels to me like she is going to be back in a week. Like she's just on I vacation know. in my head. I feel like I'm on vacation because I'm living, I moved into my buildings like an amenities building. And I will say, um, I got like a weird message from someone who was really, must be really invested. And they were just like, I was hoping you'd move somewhere more charming. And like, I've lived in charming buildings my whole life. So it's really nice to live in an amenities building. But one thing I'll say, it's my first time ever having like a doorman or anything. One thing I'll say is that. <laughs> It feels like I'm living in a hotel, so that just exacerbates it more. Like I'm like, oh yeah, this is my hotel, and like, well, you I'm going to be back in a until, few. Weeks. You didn't have your stuff until last night, so you're just like, oh yeah, it's vacation. Yeah, I know. And now I have my stuff, but it's just I feel I feel like a fish out of water. Um, I feel like I'm just going to go home. I know that they were like doing stuff to the patio, and I know that Carl went our our super, and I think he repainted the floors, and like I can't see that. I think I will sob if I see my living room without the checkerboard. Yeah, that would be that would be really weird. It would be like weird and triggering. Like Alex and I were texting because she had some questions about the I left the furniture outside because I think the new tenant should keep it because it was so hard to find furniture that keep that fits the patio. And um so Alex had some questions and I was just like thinking about them making changes and I was like getting really upset. Oh yeah, I miss it. I miss you guys. Like, it's it's really hard. I'm really glad to, I'm here, but it's like those double – it's like you can be happy about being in a new place but really miss the old place. It makes me happy that we have the podcast so that I at least have a guaranteed weekly hour-plus FaceTime. I know. I feel like we're having like our like – I mean, I'm drinking coffee because we're doing it in the morning, and I feel like we're having like coffee and a ketchup. I know. Well, should we should we dive into some of these listener questions? Yes. Let's do it. So I put the call out for questions on Facebook for for a little bit of a change. So, you know, if you want. I was wondering where you put that. Becca did this whole outline. Like I've done no. Well, I wrote the ads, but I've done like no work otherwise for the podcast this week. I put it in the Facebook group. I figured we usually do Instagram and I would give Facebook a chance. And we got so many questions that I never put it on Instagram. Oh. So if if you're wondering how to submit a question, um, you know, keep your eyes peeled and make sure you're in our Facebook group. Yeah. So the first question uh, that we're going to tackle, and unfortunately we got too many. I had to. I had to call it down. We couldn't answer all of them, and some of them I think will be addressed in future episodes separately. So anyway, um, the first question we got was any new organization tips or tricks, and then also same question, uh, your favorite book podcasts. I don't think I have any new organization tips and tricks. I just write everything down. Like I have a little notebook. And I just I, – I make a new list every single day with everything I need to do. And at the, then at the end of the day, I just add the, what wasn't crossed off to the next day's list. And that works for me. I also love – I have a very elaborate Google Doc calendar for my um, for my blog that I rely on. And then my Google Calendar, just in terms of putting – setting reminders. I got that from you with, with all the colors and the, the time oh, yeah. blocking. Well, um, I'll say – to anyone who is looking for organization tips and tricks, we have a whole episode from, I believe it's from early 2020 before the pandemic about organization. Maybe it's from 2019. So we'll link it in the show notes. So if you want to hear all of our organization best practices, they're all there. We've we've talked about them at length in a full episode. 
a new one that I've picked up more recently in terms of physical space is I started folding my clothing the Marie Kondo way so that basically like if you think of a if you think of it like a book that the spines face up does that make sense Yes, absolutely. You, you've told me this. Yeah. So I've, I've folded my clothes this way, first of all, for space, because you can fit a lot more when you fold things this way. And I was starting to run out of room in a couple of my drawers. First of all, it's been very illuminating in terms of seeing all of my clothing in a drawer as opposed to just the things that are on top. And it's also made me way more conscious of things that I have been holding on to that like, I just don't wear. So yeah. I feel like it'll be good for cleaning out purposes too. Um, but I really like just having that view. And it also just like, yeah. looks nice and feels organized. I like that. What about you also have that giant calendar that you have in Oh your yeah, office. my giant calendar. How could we how could I forget that? Yeah, I bought- I, I thought I was certain that's what you were no, gonna say. I, I will talk about that though. Um I, bought- I think you're like sexually attracted to that calendar. I am. I am. <laughs> um I bought it's on her Instagram grid if you guys have aren't familiar. Yeah, it's this giant wall calendar. It's probably like four feet by three feet, and it's for the whole year. And um, I bought it on Etsy. Rachel actually found it. And um, just because I have kind of two projects at the same time right now, and then I think I'll also, once one of them ends, I think I'll pick up another one. Um, and they all have like little, many small deadlines. I wanted to just see how they overlapped and like have a visual representation in my space. And um, having that has been excellent. I love that for you. I think that calendar, it's its beautiful too. I'm very serious about it. I also bought a yardstick and like I'm very conscious of like not messing it up because the minute that something gets off, I will hate it. <laughs> oh my God. What um, about, so for what about the favorite book podcasts part? So for book podcasts, I have a list on my blog. So definitely check that post out. There's a whole lot of them. I'll be honest. I have not been listening to a lot of podcasts. I will say I love Tracy from The Stacks. I Mm -hmm. think I just also love her voice. I think that she has like the best podcasting voice. I try not to talk about voices because it's something that we can't control, but she's very soothing to listen to. And she has amazing taste in books and reads a lot of nonfiction. I love Sarah's bookshelves. I think she has really good taste and she's so brutal at times, which I appreciate. Like, I feel like you and I don't really talk too negatively about books. Like, I I, I don't know. It makes me nervous. Um, we'll like say if we did DNF something, but she like, she's like very honest. I think that those are probably my two, the two top picks. Yeah, I would second both of those. I really like both of those. I also like that Sarah from Sarah's bookshelves does a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So she'll have a lot of people on who work in publishing yes. and kind of go into the inner workings, which I'm just fascinated by. You know, I'm not going for a career change or anything, but I'm like, I love listening to that type of stuff. Yeah. I love hearing about other people's jobs and what they do and how that works and um, like the, their their day-to-days and like what goes into publishing a book. So I love those episodes too. Well, also just being a reader, I think it's really interesting to understand how like contracts for authors work and how, um, you know, how publicity works and things like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really fascinated in the end-to-end process. And to that point, another one that I actually got into, I guess this is kind of more of a podcast within a podcast. So there's this podcast called um, First Draft with Sarah Enney. And it's a 
book podcast. Um, she does a lot of author interviews. I think it's more about writing books than it is about reading recommendations for the most part. But she did this series last year called Track Changes. And basically, she followed this one specific author, and then she interviewed many other experts um, from the very beginning of the process of like writing a book all the way through publication day and beyond. And it was probably like a 10-part series or so, and it was fascinating to me. Oh, that sounds super interesting. Yeah, and it wasn't even a glimmer in my eye that I was going to write a book. I was just – I just thought it was such an interesting behind-the-scenes peek. And I also learned so much about compensation and and just, like, the inner workings. I just found it really, really interesting. Interesting. Someone wrote, would love to hear y'all's daily (laughs) – I laugh about y'all's because I – I live in Charleston now, and I find myself wanting to say y'all, but I feel like such a fraud, so I always change it to y'all or to to you guys or like to – I don't know, but it makes me laugh. So <laughs> sidebar, would love to hear y'all's daily schedule, particularly how many hours a day do you typically work, even if it changes from day to day? So this question, interestingly, got the most like thumbs up reaction. So I, I included it because people really wanted to know this, I guess. So I wrote myself notes because I was worried that I would somehow mess this up. I don't know why I'm being so intense about this. So I usually wake up currently, I usually wake up between 6.30 and 7.30. I don't set an alarm. Um, I'm just really stressed right now. So I feel like I just have not been sleeping that well, even on the weekends. Um, I usually have like an hour where I drink my coffee and check my emails and kind of become a person. I'm not a morning person, so I'm not very sharp. And especially if I start emailing during this time, I'm they're like riddled with typos and like forgotten Same. attachments. So I usually Oh my god, I always to, forget. I usually just try to read my emails during this time and not respond. Yes, that's smart. Oh, so after an hour I'm a person. I try to work out sometime before noon. If I don't work out before noon, it becomes exponentially less likely that I will work out at all. I'll be honest. I've worked out once this week. It's Friday. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends oh, yeah. I on- haven't worked out in, in like a month. Yeah. It depends on what life is like. Yeah. Um, and then right now, usually I have Rom-Com Pod's drafts to review first thing. So that's what I do first. Um, and – Every episode goes through – I was trying to add it up. It probably goes through six or seven rounds of review. So usually I'll have something in Slack or in my inbox that I need to review for rom-com pods, and I'll do that first. And it usually takes like half an hour, an hour. Um, and then I'll try to work for like a two-hour block. And I'm most creative in the morning, so I try to do writing – Um, in the morning, but I kind of tap out at about two hours. Like I can't do sustained creative work for like six hours. So I usually try to work for like two hours. Um, Sometimes there's a process of talking myself into it or procrastinating around it. So I guess build that into the process. Um, And then usually I'll take a break for lunch or a walk and try to do something that's like actually take some time. So like make lunch, like make cook food or go on like an hour walk just to like refresh my brain and get a break. Um, And then I'll 
some t- depending on the day, I try to put all my meetings on one or two days during the week. So usually Tuesday and Wednesday are my peak meeting days. So on those days, I'll usually have back-to-back meetings all afternoon. Um, and otherwise, if I don't have meetings, I'll kind of go in for another block of work. And in a in my healthiest work-life balance state, I would say I usually try to wrap up between four and five. I am definitely not a night work person. Like my best work time is during the traditional nine to five work day. Um, there are certainly many exceptions of times that I work beyond that. Like I think on Wednesday I worked until 930. So if there's work that needs to be done, I'll keep working. But like when I have healthy boundaries, I'll usually try to wrap up at like four or five. If I haven't gone for a walk, I'll go for a walk then, cook dinner, read. Um, and I'm not a read before bed person because usually when I'm not in a reading rut, I'm like too into the book and I don't want to stop and I'll just keep reading. Um, so then usually before bed, I'll like watch TV or scroll through Instagram or TikTok or something. And these days I'm usually going to bed between 10 and 11. So that's that's my routine. I would say, I don't know, to answer the question of how many hours do I usually work, I would say when I have healthy boundaries, I don't know, like six hours a day, but also keep in mind that there's a lot of like, with the creative process, I feel like there's a lot of trying to get myself to work that are not work hours, but are kind of part and parcel to the work day. But yeah, I mean, I don't always have healthy boundaries. And especially right now in this time where I have deadlines, like I've been working probably like 12 hour days more regularly. So it varies. It ebbs and flows. Yeah. I feel though working for myself and working on personal projects, I don't begrudge it as much as if I worked for a company because all of the work is going towards my goals. So it kind of just like it's the shit sandwich of like, well, this is what it is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I am so all over the place right now. And I also have no notes because I've just had a hot mess of a week. Well, what's but- your what's your routine as of like three weeks ago? Not as of. OK. Because so this week it was like there was one day where I was I started working at eight and like did take a break to go get my mattress delivered, but worked till midnight. But then I was doing moving stuff like most of the rest of the week. So it's like all over the place. Yeah, give me like the three weeks ago version. (laughs) Okay. So three weeks ago, my usual schedule is like I work from like about nine till seven. And that sounds like a lot, but there's usually a break in there to take a walk or a break to work out. And like you said, I really like my job and I think it's so different um, than working for somebody else. I really like working. It's fun. And like if I have free time, I'll just sit and I'll work on the computer and watch TV and like get ahead on blog posts and stuff like at night as well. But um, and since we've been kind of quarantined, I've definitely had more free time than usual. But usually I get up around eight. I make a coffee. I look at my emails. I don't touch them. And like tidy up. I I like to stretch, have some water, talk to the cat, feed the cat, wash my face, just that kind of like morning stuff. And then usually the first thing I do, and I know you're not supposed to do this, is dive into my emails and like start replying to things because and passing emails on to Kristen. Kristen handles my brand partnerships. So she um like it's great because if somebody comes in and maybe wants to work with me or something, I can just pass them to her. But I always want to pass them to her quickly because 
I think in this industry, like there's just so many influencers. So I'm always like, oh, I got to like get on that right, right away. Like we can't be late to the party. And then I, I always feel like make I sure need to do my emails first thing too, because otherwise I feel like they're hanging over my head. Yeah. And I get nervous that either people are waiting on me for things or there's like things I don't know about in there. So yeah, I, I know people say not to do it, but I need to deal with my emails first. Yes. So then, um, what happens after that? Um, the other thing I always try and do is just get Kristen everything she needs, whether that's a brand draft or signing a contract or a creative concept, um, for a partnership, like any of that stuff, I just get to her immediately so that she has it. Like, and then I kind of, I get through everything else after that. Then I usually post to Instagram, whatever's on my blog that day. I, I spend about probably an hour replying to comments on my Instagram and, on, and in my DMs. Um, then I will usually, it kind of flip flops. Either I'll work on deadlines for the day, like recording Instagram stories or writing blog posts or writing captions for, um, anything that's maybe due that day, or I'll work on the next day's blog post. So that's kind of like, that will take me till about like one o'clock and then I'll like eat some lunch Maybe do Melissa Wood, maybe do an Obey class, but um, I will tell you, I have not worked out in a month, um, but I have been moving a lot. Like, I don't feel like, I feel like I've been moving my body a lot more than usual, despite the fact that I haven't exercised. So I still feel, I feel okay about that. I feel like my goal is just to move, whether it's I, I'm locked down and I must do a, a walk and a Melissa Wood thing, or I'm moving and just literally like running around ragged. So then call it like two. Um, I'll take a quick shower if I if I did that workout. Um, then it's either either or um, working on brand deadlines or working on the next day's post. And then um, what else do I? I probably am in in my DMs at some point in there in the straight Facebook group in there. I don't go into the bad on paper Facebook group as much as you do, you're better with that. Um, but I go in there too. Um, what else do I do? I wish I made notes. I'm like, what's my life? Um, well, I feel like you're a really big, you have a lot of night productivity sometimes. Yes. Then I'll, oh, then I will a couple days a week. I usually have a shoot and I like to shoot at three or I'll record Instagram stories. I also like to do that at three because I will tell you when you hit your late thirties, your face doesn't wake up as easily. So I usually like to record my anything or shoot anything like around two or three because then I look fully awake. (laughs) We also usually record the podcast at like three or four. Is that because you want to look awake for me? You want to look your best for me? No, that's kind of like a good, (laughs) that's kind of like a good hour for content creation for me. So literally you're right. It's either that hour is usually either recording the podcast, um, Filming Instagram stories because any Instagram story you see on my blog that's an ad, like a lot of work actually goes into that because I have to, um, I write out what I'm going to say, the brand approves that, then I record it, then they have to approve it, then sometimes I have to make changes to it. So I do that because I want to be alert or um, Clay in New York, I mean Clay in Charleston or Allie in New York will come over and we'll shoot for an hour or we're recording. So yeah, that's kind of like my favorite time to do like something where you have to be really on. Okay. And then it's just usually more emails. Like I feel like my day, like people are like, 
think that being an influencer is like really glamorous and like running around, then usually I'm just back at my desk, like doing emails. Maybe I'm writing something. Maybe I'm sending a collage off to my graphic designer to have her like create that for me. Maybe I'm brainstorming creative ideas for like a partnership. It kind of varies, but I try to wrap up around seven and like have some dinner. But lately, like I've been before the, before the move, I've just, I was, I didn't have a lot to do at night. So I'd be like, well, I should just like write or like work on, on something. Cause I think when you work for yourself, there's just always so much more you can do. And if I don't have something else to do or like a show I really want to watch, like I will just keep working, which is not healthy. I get mad at myself when that happens. So I don't, I don't begrudge it when there's so much work that I have to work in the evening. But if I've used my time inefficiently and I end up working at night, I get like angry at myself about it. Yeah. Because that's not my most productive time. And I also feel like when I work at night, it like interferes with my sleep and it interferes with like, I don't get my time to unwind. Yeah. I I hear that. So that's the scoop. So – Here's another quick one. How do you manage Zoom fatigue? And this person says, I can really only handle one to two meetups a week with the same group. Haven't been able to keep up with any other friends this way. Ooh, I hear this. I don't do this. Maybe I don't have a lot of friends. (laughs) Well, I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like, Zoom is how we're all going to keep in touch. And like, also, I feel like I get invited to a decent amount of Zoom press events. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not interested. Like, yeah, no. Unless it's like a best friend level person, I I don't want to do things on Zoom. I don't want to. I also don't want to take a cooking class on Zoom. I don't want to like. I don't want to do no. any of that stuff. No, I have. So I have one Zoom a week with m- my best college friends, and there's probably like ten people, and it's kind of rotating. Like, not all ten people come every week, but it's kind of like a drop in thing. And actually, over the past. Since the beginning of 2021, I would say it probably only happens like once every two or three weeks. Um, But that's like really all I can handle. But I found that Zoom is really taxing in a way that um, talking on the phone isn't. So I actually prefer to call people. And usually that will happen on a walk on the weekends. Like I'll be out on a walk in the morning to like go get flowers or something. And I'll just like arbitrarily call like one or two friends and like catch up. Yeah. I don't do Zooms. Um, I don't do them for work. I don't do them for friend things. I do them if I if I have to for like a partner or something. Like and, and it's like somebody like I have with my Sephora squad thing, we have like monthly Zooms, but I don't really do friend Zooms. My friend none of my friends really want to do them. Um I do I'm a big fan of the phone catch up and I do that on my walks or like last night I called Alex and like we I we had wine and I talked to her for like an hour while I pack unpacked I just I I feel the same as you like I feel very taxed by zooms I don't know what it is it's almost like the introvert in me comes out and it's like that big group setting I I don't like them yeah but I hear I hear this person zoom is yeah is taxing in a way I can't explain yeah. Like even so with say, my closest friends where I'm like, I could show up as schlubby as I want. It's not that I need to be on or I need to look good, but it still is taxing. Yeah. I think that I would say do more phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about a sponsor. So this episode is sponsored by Care Of. So Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best. Here's how it works. So you go to their site and you take their in-depth five-minute quiz that asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to create a fully customized plan that's designed to meet your specific wellness goals. So it's like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist without leaving your house. I've been using Kara for a couple of years now, basically ever since they started sponsoring the podcast, and now I just pay for it because I really like it. This has been the only vitamin routine that I've been able to actually stick with. Um, I really love their individually wrapped daily packets. So it's like you don't have to mess with a million pill bottles or the old people pill case. I literally just put like two weeks worth of the um, the pill packets into my suitcase when I moved because I wasn't sure when my stuff was going to come and just grab one every morning and I have everything all ready for me. Yeah, that's huge, the convenience aspect. And I also really appreciate that all of Care-of's products are formulated with good-for-you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. So they're completely transparent about the research and sourcing behind each one of their products. And if you've ever cruised the vitamin aisle at the drugstore, you'll know that that's definitely not usually the case. So in the past, I always just found it so confusing to figure out what exactly I need. Is a multivitamin enough? Um, If you're doing those a la carte vitamins, which ones do you actually need? And how many milligrams? So I just like that Kara uses their expertise to help me figure that out and just educate me on what I actually do need. Yeah. So we're beginning to make our way out of hibernation and focus on our health as we get some warmer weather. And this is a small, impactful way to update your routine. So bettering yourself isn't just for January anymore and New Year's resolutions. We, I think that, you know, it's something that's on my mind year round. And we also love that Care-of uses compostable vitamin packs as opposed to bulky pill bottles. It's a simple way to practice a more eco-friendly mindset at home and on the go. So if one of your goals this spring is to start taking better care of your health, a Care-of subscription is a great first step, and you can take 50% off your first Care-of order. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code BOP50. Again, take 50% off your first Care-of order by going to TakeCareOf.com and entering code BOP50. All right. So the next question, there's a short answer and there's a long answer. So somebody said, I'm so interested in hearing about working with an interior designer. Does Grace have a Charleston apartment update? Anything she's doing differently this time around or particularly inspired by? So I'll let you answer that. But first, I think we are going to try to do an episode with our interior decorators in the next couple of months because so many people want to hear about this. And I feel like it's better to hear about it straight from them. Yes. I haven't asked Erin, but I hope she'll do it. Yeah, I haven't asked Emmett either yet, but I... (laughs) Hope she'll do it. (laughs) So for me, the main reason that I wanted to work with a designer here was that I could not figure out what was going to fit where. So one of the really great things about working with a designer is that they measure, like I had to measure all my furniture, but then they use their programs and can figure out what goes where and just, it makes it so much easier because spatially I was like, I can fit both of my couches. No, I could not. Like there's just like, So she really helped me kind of fine-tune what to bring and what to give to friends, and that was hugely helpful. In terms of doing differently, I will tell you, like, no regrets. Like I said, I was, like, crying thinking about them repainting that floor just because it took me, like, a week to do it myself. But um, 
I'm doing less color this time. It just got a little wild in there um, between the green and white floors, the palm leaf curtains, and then all of my books and all of my art. So one big thing Erin said was like, I know you love color, but you have so much art and you have all of these books. So why don't we just work on making, like giving you like a really beautiful, good neutral foundation to let those things kind of shine. And so that's been where our process has been. Um, I did get, I have a new couch. I ordered some new pieces. I ordered a new couch. It's a beautiful sectional from Made in Home and it was expensive, but it it was like exactly what I wanted because one thing I want to do, and this is after reading Joyful, and I, I probably sound like such a dork, but Ingrid, I'd love to have Ingrid on our podcast at some point too, the author of that book. She also has a blog called Aesthetics of Joy. She talks about how rounded things make us so much happier. So, um, and I've, I've found myself gravitating towards rounded things. So I'll have a round coffee table and a sofa with like rounded edges. But um, yeah, I would say that it's, I mean, it's going to be different because this is just like, it's a very updated modern apartment and I was living in a less updated, more more charming and interesting apartment. But I think I just want it to be like very neutral with like big pops of color with my books and my art. So now you've ordered a lot of the stuff, but when do you think you, it, it will start to come together? Because it's going to take a while. Probably not till end of June, um, okay. which is a bummer. But with COVID and just with COVID, with the pandemic, everything is so delayed. And I was talking to a couple other friends that moved and everyone was laughing. We're all like, we like there, no one's going to have furniture for a while. Yeah. So more to come on that and hopefully directly from our decorators. Yeah. Okay. Somebody else asked, how do you choose what you'll read next? I'm so curious about tracking what publishers are sending versus ones you're awaiting from authors you enjoy versus what you recommend to each other, et cetera. I imagine you have more elaborate systems than other everyday readers. (laughs) I wish my answer was that I don't care, but I do. (laughs) So I don't know. I feel like in making reading part of my job with this podcast and I guess tangentially with Instagram, although I don't consider Instagram my job and I don't really make money from Instagram or care to make money from Instagram, um, I do have to think about it. Reading is my number one hobby and source of relaxation. So I also try to balance that where it's like trying to make room for reading what I want versus reading what I have to. But like, do you feel sometimes that you have to read things? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's books that have come out and everyone's raving about them. So I feel like I have to. And that can be hard because sometimes I just want like a murder. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say here's like approximately how I approach it. So um, publishers will send out books anywhere between like six months in advance to like the week it launches. And I generally try not to read books more than like two months out because it's annoying. I feel like it isn't even really helpful to the authors because even if I talk about it, people forget about it by the time it's coming out. And it's yes. like too far away that I think maybe some people are dissuaded from pre-ordering it, which is a really big way to help authors. So I try to save books until it's like inside two months from like when they come out, um, which is totally arbitrary. I've just like made up that rule in my head. That's Um, funny. And we've never talked about this, but I do the same exact thing. Oh, funny. And then another big consideration is 
reading for the podcast. So one of our New Year's resolutions was to, or one of my New Year's resolutions was to get more ahead. And we are unfortunately not more ahead. (laughs) So right now, you know, a lot of the books I'm picking up are like, could these be contenders for our May book club pick? And so that's always a big consideration. Um, And then also diversity in who I'm reading. So sometimes I'll realize that I've only read white authors in a month and then try to specifically pick up something by a non-white author to balance that out. Um, So those are all kind of like mathematics that are going on in my head. But then sometimes, especially on like a Friday night or a Sunday, I'll just say fuck it and I'll just pick the thing in the pile that I want that I really want to read. And I did that um, this past Friday. I was already mid reading something and I'm usually like a monogamous reader. But I was like, I just want to read the new Anna K book like that is what will make me happy right now. And I'm going to do that. So I also have those moments. Um, And yeah, I also, I use Goodreads. I mean, I have two giant piles of books in my living room of things I actually want to read. And then I have other piles in my office of things that people have sent me that I'm probably not going to read and are going to get donated or put on the street to give away. Um, And I I mean, it's, it's the coolest perk to get free books. So like, no complaints, but... Yeah, it does add something to like the process of what am I going to read. Um, and I also use Goodreads to track authors that I like that have things coming out or like things I've heard about that are far away to like just keep them on my radar. What about you? How do you approach it? Like basically all the same as you. I will say that one thing for my weekend reading list, I'm always on the prowl for like the best books of the month list and all of that. So I feel like Pop Sugar and Bustle and a few other sites always have like these are the must read books and I always forward them to you too um so I'll always look through those but I pretty much do exactly what Becca does I also have this very nerdy google doc because we do get sent so many books from publishers so I try and log them in and I log them by month so that I can keep track of them because I don't again I don't know I don't want to read something if it's not coming out for like a, a year yeah although I did I did read the BA Paris book BA Paris is one of my favorite like cheesy thriller book authors um, like a couple of months ago and that doesn't come out till July. I felt so guilty, but I really wanted to read it. Do you give any like prioritization to balancing fiction versus nonfiction? Because I, I only read, I read 100% fiction. I rarely read nonfiction, so it's not a consideration for me. No, but usually I'm reading, so I am a monogamous reader when it comes to fiction, but I usually am reading a nonfiction book and a fiction book at the same time. Okay. So that and I kind of just reach for whichever one I want and sometimes I'll even like if it's a more like dry nonfiction book I'll listen to it as an audiobook or I'll um just like make myself read like 20 pages before bed and then read my fiction book after yeah 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 here's one that first of all we got a couple different iterations of this same question and then also I feel like every time we put a call out for questions we always get this so somebody asked what has worked for you in the past for making friends slash building community in a new city and how have you maintained or further built your friendships during COVID okay so I'm going to answer that in two parts during COVID I have not I have not really made any new friends during COVID I did go for a walk with Aminatu who came on our podcast a while back and that was really nice. But then I moved. So I feel like we were like building this exciting new friendship. And then I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> um, no, we'll stay in touch. Like the internet also makes it easy to stay like in touch with people. I I have made two two new friends since getting here. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, right? I'll tell you how I met them. But it wasn't COVID-y things in ways that I met them. The first was Rebecca, who offered to let me stay at Guest House. Um, I would say having a crisis really brings you together with people, <laughs> with the cat. Because then afterwards, I went out and I bought a bottle of champagne and we like had a snack and some champagne. And I feel like she's my friend now. Like, um, Once things settle down, we're going to get dinner. So having a, cr- a crisis is a good way. And then I'm trying to be just say hello to people, like saying hello to people in my building lobby, smiling. Um, you can't see me smile because I have my mask on. But I went to an outdoor dinner this week. And a lot of times when I go to things, I um, I actually get really shy and I just talk to the people that I know. But there was this really cute couple and they walked in and I was talking to this girl. And um, it ended up turning out that she lives in my building. Oh, funny. Yeah. And – we bonded over the fact that neither of us had our driver's license. So we're going to go get our learner's permits together. Cute. <laughs> so this is not helpful, but I think that for me, like it's letting myself be a little more vulnerable with new people and like, you know, admitting like, oh, I don't have my driver's license. Cause then she's like, I don't either. And also just working on being, I don't want to say being friendlier because I am very friendly. Like, but I'm not always the best at like approaching strangers and chatting people up. Yeah. I will say that for events, I always try and have like two or three things like prepared to talk about just like to make small talk about because, you know, I don't really actively follow pop culture, but I'll like look pop culture things up before like an event or something so that I have something interesting to say. Well, I feel like you're also in a different boat now since moving to Charleston because I feel like I don't know, I'm going to put words in your mouth and you can tell me if I'm completely off base. But like, I feel like in New York, you weren't really looking for new friends. So if you really hit it off with somebody, it was like, oh, a bonus. Like, oh, I thought I think this person is really cool. Like, yeah, I want to go out of my way to be friends with them. But now you're in like a place where you're actively looking for local friends, even though you have friends there. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I lived in New York for 15 years, so I was so comfortable. So I don't even know that I'm qualified to answer this question because I've just been like in my bubble of uh, no new friends. I've got enough. Yeah. Yeah. I So I've made two major moves in my adult life. The first time to San Francisco when I was 25 and then the second time to – or 24 and then the second time to New York when I was 26, I think. Anyway. So when I was in San Francisco, the way that I made friends was through basically like one gateway friend. So I made friends with one person who then basically was like, you need to meet all of my friends. And I basically just like walked into a ready-made social circle. And so that's the best. Yeah, I would say like finding friends who have broader friend networks or can introduce you to other people. I mean, that's kind of how it happened for me in San Francisco. And then in New York, I would say that I made most of my close friends through work because when I I moved for a job and um, that was at Bobble Bar where I worked with Grace and then also um, Jackie, who's one of my best friends. And um, it was so all consuming. Like (laughs) it was all we I mean, we worked really long hours. It was like all we thought about. It was like all we talked about. So, yeah, I mean, I made really close friends through work and then. Um, you know, also indirectly through introductions. Like, I mean, more recently, like you introduced me to our friend Kate and you were like, I think you would really hit it off. So, you know, I think like I've also met friends through friends. 
But, you know, I, I realize that in COVID, making friends through work, especially if you're starting a new job, like might not be as tenable if you're talking to somebody over Zoom versus like meeting in an office. Yeah. I'd say the same as you. Like, I don't know that I've maintained my friendships particularly well. And I I certainly haven't built any new friendships over COVID. I mean, yeah, my friendships during COVID have been so proximity based. So, you know, I see you and Rachel and Alex and to some extent, some of our other friends who live in like other neighborhoods in Brooklyn. But like, you know, especially during the early pandemic, it was like, oh, you live on the Upper West Side. It's like, mm-hmm. see you never. Yeah. I feel like during the pandemic, I just focused on you, Alex, and John and saw the three of you. And um, that was just kind of my little bubble. Also, I feel like I know so many people in our lives who left the city during the pandemic for some period of time. So I feel yeah. like in a lot of ways, like a lot of friendships got put on pause. And yeah. since then, a lot of those people have returned. And I, I've seen some of those people. But, you know, I feel like in some ways it was kind of just like, oh, we're taking a time out. Yeah. I think the phone is really good for that. Like I've had like long conversations with like, you know, like Katie Storino and Blair and I used to have not not together separately. <laughs> I can't speak today, but we would have like little like phone chats and things or even like um Carly Heitlinger. So I feel like phone the phone is a good way to do that. Yeah. Not a Zoom person, but love a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we have a couple career questions, but we're going to take another quick break first. So Let's talk about BetterHelp. So BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, or phone, so you can talk to a licensed counselor from the comfort of your home. This has been a wild year. Between lockdown and the election and just so much change, it has just been a lot. So mental health is really top of mind for both of us right now. Maybe one thing on your list this year is to try therapy, but it can be really overwhelming to dive in. Where do you find a therapist? How do you know what they specialize in? What if it isn't a match? So I really love that BetterHelp is solving all of these problems and and saving you wasted time cruising through your insurance directory. BetterHelp offers private, affordable online counseling when you need it without having to leave your house. And they make it really easy so that you fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. So they ask you about your age, your relationship status, your past relationship with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then they match you with your own licensed professional counselor. And they have counselors who are specialized in everything, literally everything, from depression, stress, and anxiety to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message them anytime and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. One of the things that I think is the coolest about this service is that they are committed to facilitating great matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. So realistically, you know, the first person you meet with might not be a fit. And if you put in all that work finding something, I think it's really demoralizing to then like need to go through the process again. But with better help, they'll just rematch you with somebody. And there was a great thread in our Facebook group uh, last month, I think, where um, some folks were talking about having tried BetterHelp. And I was really happy to see that a lot of them were having a really positive experience. And a lot of them noted that they liked how easy it was to switch counselors if your first one wasn't a good fit. 
And anything you share is, of course, always confidential. So we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash badonpaper. So let's get into three last questions, two are career ones, but I just, this one, I guess just snuck in. Somebody asked how to decide if New York is worth the money for oneself. Uh, I will just tell you it's, I think that New York is really great when you're a little older. I struggled so much when I first moved here. Like I lived in like a converted, we, we split up one bedrooms for the first few, for the first four years I lived here, there, we got really creative I I frequently overdrew my bank account. I frequently maxed out my credit cards. It was hard. Living in New York is so hard. I mean, it, it is also worth it, especially when you're young and you're taking advantage of like all the cool things that the city has to offer. But, you know, when I first moved here, I was making very little money and um, it was extremely hard financially. I wouldn't change it because of the connections I made, the people I met, the jobs I had the all of the things but it's rough yeah i would say living in new york is a horribly irresponsible financial decision so i guess <laughs> think about first of all what are you willing to sacrifice like to grace's point do you will you live with multiple roommates in tiny rooms in unideal living situations and then also, like, what are your long-term financial goals? Like, I I know very few people who own a home. So if owning a home is important to you, um, I would say it's probably unrealistic for many people based on real estate prices here and also just based on saving money because of how much you're paying for rent. So if that's, like, an important long-term goal for you, maybe New York is not the right decision. Like, not to get down on it because obviously, like, Grace just did it for 15 years. Like, I live here and I'm not planning on moving. But like realistically, yeah, it's like it's a horrible financial decision. So I, you have to it, want it so much yeah. that it outweighs that. And it does pay off and it is so much fun. There's also I think I'm- alternatives. I would say I know a few people who moved here and lived in Hoboken or Jersey City instead of living in the city to save money because that's much cheaper of an option. And there's also neighborhoods that are like really far out in Brooklyn or in Queens where you can get cheaper rent. So, you know, there are ways to live in New York without spending that much money, but then there's also sacrifices you make in terms of commute if you're in an office at some point in the future and, you know, also just like what's around you in terms of like access to, you know, if you're moving here for access to like museums and and all of the cultural aspects of New York City, like obviously if you live in the furthest out neighborhood in Brooklyn, like getting accessing those things is yeah more time consuming. Yeah. So thinking about like how much space can you live in? Um, if you can like live in a little studio or like get roommates and live in the city, that's great. But I feel like if you're even asking the question how to decide if New York is worth the money for yourself, I would also think about like your career, like if you take this job, say it's a job for a job, like is this, is there like an uptick in earning potential and things? And will, will like your first few years that situation change? Cause mine changed. Like it took me, it took me like seven years of struggling. And then I finally, I got to a place like in my 
Like I think when I was like 33, when I felt comfortable, but even at that age, I was 35 and living in a, in a studio with a loft bed, like crawling up a ladder every night to go to bed. So, um, it's hard, but I always found it to be really worth it because of the career opportunities, because of the social life, because of the culture, but definitely think about it. I mean, now I live in Charleston and I have a a washer dryer and pay less money in rent. And I like, and I have a drawer just for snacks in my kitchen. Like it's pretty good. I don't know. I, this sounds so harsh, but I kind of feel like if you have to ask, like it might not be worth it for you. Like, because you're going to have to sacrifice so much. And if you're not like, yeah, I want this and this makes sense for me, maybe it's just not the right fit. Like for me personally, I moved here when I was 26 and it was because I wanted to work in fashion. And realistically, there are two cities in the U.S. where you can work in fashion. Not to say that there aren't small exceptions, but, you know, to have the most career options, you need to live in New York or L.A. And I was like that, but with beauty. Exactly. And so it was like a no brainer where it was like, this is where I have to be. And also just thinking about myself as a person, like I would not be happy living in a smaller city like I wanted to live in a big city with lots of um, with lots going on. And so it was like, I'll find a way to make the money work. And my first year here, I my apartment was like more than 50 percent of my salary. Oh, same. Which is terrible, For- which is terrible, like balance and no financial advisor would be like, do that. Except for the years where I live with my ex, which was like one year, I want to say. It was always like more than 50% of my take home pay. Like I, it was, it was not great. No. (laughs) All right. Should we get into these two career questions? Yeah. These were longer ones that came over email. So one person said, I'm wondering what you both would share about transitioning to a new industry that's somewhat related to your current field. So imagine you're past the stage of deciding if you would like it, interning, volunteering, et cetera, but your background doesn't necessarily meet the job qualifications that an employer may list. An example might be that you're a nurse by training, but you want to shift into a role working on the business side of things instead. Is it really about who you know? Do you put some confidence and sell your skills in the in a light that matches what the new career requires? Um, and then she said, relatedly, I'd love to get a glimpse at how people in your lines of work look for new jobs when not working for themselves, of course. Do you just search marketing and see what comes up? So I'm going to say it is about who you know. Um it's about a lot of other things. It's about being smart and working hard and building a name for yourself. But so my first job, I've done this, I've kind of done what she's done a few times now. I was an assistant buyer in the beauty industry and I leveraged the connections that I had made. And the fact that I had a really good reputation in my industry as like someone who was like young, scrappy, smart, hungry, like wanted more work, um, to get a job in marketing also in the beauty industry. And um, then when I was laid off from that job, I used connections that I had made in the industry and was able to get a new job. And then I'm I'm really paraphrasing this quickly because we could spend a whole out. We've talked for like a whole hour about our our career paths. Um, and then from there, I transitioned over to social media, which is very similar to marketing in a lot of ways, but also different because of people that I had met through my blog. So I think. It is a lot about who you know, but it's also just building a reputation as being someone who is works really hard, will ask for more work, wants to learn. So if you're maybe a nurse trying to transition to the business side, what if you like asked for asked 
like met with someone on that side and told them you were interested and just like asked for some work, like take on an hour or so of like unpaid work in that field or like ask if you can help out. I just think that like showing that you really want it and showing that you are really hardworking is a great way to do that. And also to build those connections and maybe that person will help you get a job. Yeah. I guess I I have a I have many things to say here that probably are too verbose for the amount of time we should spend. But I guess first thing is if you're using this example, if you're transitioning to an adjacent career, you're a nurse and you want to move to the business side at a hospital, I think like don't underestimate that because you know, for example, in my own case, which is totally not related to this, like having this podcast, having worked on the other side and understanding how podcast ad buying works, like that has helped me. Like I I would imagine that having a understanding of how things work working on a floor as a nurse would be beneficial on the business side because I bet there are a lot of people in that position who have never done it and don't necessarily understand it. So I think you could yes. probably bring a lot to that role and don't underestimate that. It's really, I don't know. I, I got this question in a DM question box a couple weeks ago and somebody was like, it, the question basically boiled down to do soft skills matter? And I was like, look, I don't have any hard skills. Like, and of course, like <laughs> there are different careers where hard skills matter more than others. Like I wouldn't want my taxes to be prepared by somebody who did not know how taxes worked and have like a solid grasp of math. I'm mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't want surgery from somebody who didn't have a solid grasp of surgery. So like hard skills matter in some places, but like in every career I've worked in, it is all soft skills. So like, I, I think don't underestimate that. And and there's this tendency, there's this statistic where it's like men will apply to a job when they meet 50% of the qualifications and women will only apply to a job when they meet 99%. And it's like, you're smart. You can figure things out. And, and being honest about like, hey, I don't know this, but I want to learn this. Like, I think having a scrappiness where so often when I was interviewing people for jobs, people would come in and it was like, why do you want this job? And like, it didn't really seem like they wanted it. So just by wanting it, I feel like you have a leg up and being like, I will work to having that scrappiness to be like, I will work to figure this out is I think it's to your benefit in the, totally agree. In the resume pile. The and then, scrappiness and the wanting to learn. Totally. And then, you know, to Grace's point, I do think it is about who you know, but not to say that you like you're shit out of luck and you can't get a job if you don't know anyone. But I would say like try to make those relationships. And we always talk about informational interviews where ask somebody for coffee who's in the job that you want and talk to them about what their job entails and express your interest so that next time something comes up, they might think of you as opposed to this nameless, faceless pile of resumes that they have to slog through. Yes. So Yes to all of that. It's not to say if you don't know anyone, you're out of luck. You just need to make those relationships. Yes. And then on the related question of how do people in our lines of work get new jobs. I will say every job I've gotten since I was 26 has been through people I know. And that's yes. a, that's a place of privilege, but all of it has been through my reputation and my relationships. I've certainly looked on LinkedIn and been like job marketing jobs, but like that has never been what has yielded a job that I have taken and actually been in. Same. 
Okay, so this person wrote, I currently live in Charleston, South Carolina. Hello. After moving here from Washington, D.C. in March of 2020. For reference, I graduated in 2017 and I'm now 25. I applied for, for and got into grad school in London starting this fall. And I have to make my decision about what I want to do soon. And the whole prospect of moving abroad, uprooting my life again, is a bit overwhelming. And then there's the whole thing about giving up a decent paying job to be an unemployed grad student thing. Do you have any processes to go through when making a big life decision? Any thoughts or recommendations? Ooh, there are two sides of me that have very different answers here. Oh, interesting. So the practical side of me says, will you have to go into debt for this? Like, are you paying your own way? Are you paying for grad school? Is this like a $100,000 decision? Or do you have scholarships that make this kind of like, you know, you'll you'll not be in your well-paying job anymore, but, you know, you're basically getting a free ride. And, you know, if you have to go into debt over it, I think that's a really big consideration of how it changes your career prospects in the future. And is that worth it? And, you know, what is your financial situation? Maybe, maybe you have parents who will help you with it. Um, but, you know, if you are going to saddle yourself with this debt that, that you then have to deal with for the next however many years to pay back, like, that's a big decision that I think you should think about. That said, I am the person, if I were your friend, that would be 100% like, oh my God, you should totally go. Like, when in your life are you going to have an adventure like this? Like, I've always said I would love to live in London, but like getting visa sponsorship and actually moving your stuff overseas is like such a headache that like you will never be as willing to be poor or as willing to live in an ideal situation as you are at this moment. And for me, like, that bar is significantly higher than it was when I was 25. And so, like, what a cool adventure. So, like, part of me is like, yeah, you should definitely do this, because at some point you're going to be, like, old and boring like us. We're not old Mm -hmm. and boring, but, you know, you're going to be, like, more settled. And, like, the idea of this is just going to be so untenable that, like, I would love to be like, oh, remember when I spent the years that I was 25 and 26 living in London like that's awesome yeah don't go into debt but go <laughs> like <laughs> everything Becca said once again I'm just like this I'm so tired this week I'm like everything Becca said go I am going to be 40 in September and my biggest life regret is that I never studied abroad or did something like this I just think you will have so much fun traveling you will make amazing connections all over the world it sounds like an incredible opportunity. And um, literally, this my biggest regret is not doing something like this. Like, probably for me, it would have been studying abroad. Like, I never had grad school aspirations. But if you can make it work financially, like, please go. I think it just sounds like such an incredible opportunity. And you will have the best time. I know. How do I get an easy way to study abroad as an adult? Does that exist? I don't know. I want that. Me too. Me yeah. too. Honestly. <laughs> Uh, maybe that would yeah. be a good service for like adults with income, like a life relocation <laughs> six month program. Oh my god! You know what? There's that thing that um Jess Sturdy and Hallie Wilson did the remote uh, year. Yeah, that seems a little too studenty for me. It does, and they have to go to like different places, and I feel like they had roommates and stuff. Yeah, like, I don't want that. No, like I want my life. 
But in a different city, but for six months. Absolutely. Hundo P. And I want somebody also to deal with all the admin of my life here so yeah. that like, it's not a huge headache. Where like, I don't know, do they put my stuff into storage or like sublease my apartment for me? Yeah. Like I want the whole, the full service experience. How do we get that? I don't know. Do we have to invent that? I think that's going to be our next business. So those are the questions. Real, you have to be really rich to, to afford it because yeah. it's, like, it's like, well, yeah, you can do this thing. It's going to be $2 million. Oh, I can't afford that. <laughs> I'm out. Um, so that's those are our questions. And I would actually really like some feedback from everyone listening. If you liked this type of episode, if you'd like to see us do it quarterly, if you prefer episodes like we did last time where it was just us talking, um, you know – I Tell us what you think in the Facebook group and, you know, we'll iterate from there. Yeah. Should we get into some end matter? Yeah. I don't have a lot of end matter this week. I saw that. End matter will be quick. Um, I have no obsession. I have no Instagram obsession. I have an I have an obsession obsession that I know that you you're I'm obsessed with your obsession. I got you into my your obsessions. So I finally watched Ginny and Georgia on Netflix and I don't Another- know why I was resisting. Another shout out to Katie Herklotz. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was resisting. I'd heard mixed things. And it's not like I have such highbrow taste that I'm like, this is, I'm not going to like this. Like, I like Virgin River. What in God's name would make me think that I am You were such a holdout. And you and Alex were both like making fun of it. So Alex, Becca, and I all watched it together on my last night in New York. And they were totally mocking it. <laughs> I had some issues initially with, like, the age difference. I just did not believe that the mother was old enough to be the age that she was playing. Yeah. There she was 30. Things. She was believable as 30. Yeah, I guess so. Um. <laughs> anyway, I got so sucked in. The next night after you left, I had hit a wall, and I basically stopped working at, like, 2 p.m., and I just watched – the other nine episodes in a row, just like laid on my couch like a zombie binging them. Oh, my God. It was so good. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it so much. And I'm, I'm really the- excited for next season because they really set Joe up for an arc with um, with Georgia. And I'm, I'm real excited. Yeah, I am too. Um, <sighs> Great show. So thanks for that, Grace, and indirectly <laughs> Katie Herklotz. Who Katie is not like our friend. She's she she feels like a friend. She we DM and she's in our Facebook group. She's a listener. But she t- said Grace would specifically really like it. And then Grace yeah. forced me to listen to it. And I loved it. And then or I made watch Becca it. listen to it. Yeah. Um shout out again to Katie. <laughs> and then books. Books. Um I am basically just not reading much these days. I'm still reading Delicious. I'm almost done with it. Um, I think that after I finish Delicious, I'm going to treat myself and read the new Taylor Jenkins read, which um, – I was just thinking of pulling that out of my pile. Yeah. I'm really excited for that. There's so. one that I want to read first that I just ordered and and should come in the mail today. And I want to read um, – what was the book that we just got? We both ordered it. I'm so oh, I'm so um, tired. I can't remember. The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. Yes. So I want to read that and the new Taylor Jenkins read book. I'm just telling you what I want to read because I've yeah. just been not reading this. This is the aspirational reading segment. Yes. Um. So on my side, I read Anna Kay Away by Jenny Lee, which comes out at the end of April. And this is the second book, the sequel to Anna Kay, which is 
basically a modern retelling of Anna Karenina set on the Upper East Side. So it's basically like Anna Karenina meets Gossip Girl. And I'm so excited for this. I liked the first book, but I didn't love the first book. If you remember, I was like oddly scandalized by the drug use, which is really yes, you weird were. because I'm not that scandalized as a person usually. But for whatever yeah, you're reason, so breezy. Like I, someone could be like, yeah, I did heroin last night and I had like 10 lines of cocaine and Becca would be like, oh, interesting. All right. And then this book, they were like doing ecstasy and you're like, these teens, they're so naughty. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not that breezy, but like I'm, I do tend to be like pretty non-judgmental in terms of like, it's your I life. Mean, I, that was that was an exaggeration, but you never are like someone who's super judgy. No. Of of anyone. No. And whatever reason, it just like really hit me where I'm like, these teens should not be doing this. And it's not even like I was a like super straight edge teen. I mean, I wasn't doing ecstasy, but I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so this is the second book, and I actually liked this book way more than the first book. And so it picks up where the second one left off and um, Anna Kay actually gets away from New York for the summer and she spends part of it in Seoul and then part of it on this train trip through Europe. And then it flashes back and forth because her crowd is still in New York. So there are New York parts. And then B is in LA. I loved it. I loved it. It was like the perfect, it was a perfect romp. So yes, I read that. I, I love that. If you liked Anna Kay, I think you'll love this. Um, I can't wait to read this. It's in a box full of books. I don't know where – I'm going to have to ex- excavate it. Yeah. And then I'm reading right now um, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton, which came out uh, either late last month or earlier this month. And this is a book that is a fictional oral history of a um, rock and roll duo from the 70s. And um, – it's almost akin to a cross between uh, Daisy Jones and the Six and um, Evelyn Hugo. Oh, my God. Because there is there there is a plot line, and you know this right from the beginning. They tell you when you open the book that the, the woman who is writing this oral history is the daughter of Opal's lover. And so there's, okay. like, some aspect of, like, the woman investigating these people to see how they relate to her life. And and so there's like that aspect from Evelyn Hugo, but then there's also um, the rock and roll oral history. It's really good so far. I'm like halfway through. Oh, I'm really excited. Um, and in the meantime, if you need a book, we are reading Delicious for our April book club pick. And the book is by Ruth Reichel, who was the former – the last editor of Gourmet Magazine, and she wrote um, Save Me the Plums and Garlic and Sapphires and many other food memoirs. And this is her fiction book, which follows a girl who's uh, 19, drops out of college, and moves to New York City and takes a job as the assistant to the editor-in-chief of a fictional food magazine called Delicious. And um, so she gets immersed into the food world. And while she's working there, she discovers this cache of letters written by James Beard or written to James Beard, who is a real chef and in this book fictionally worked at Delicious Magazine at some point in the past um, from a 
11-year-old girl named Lulu Swan who uh, was writing to him, had a correspondence with him during World War II. So there's also a historical fiction aspect to it. I, I kind of told Grace when I pitched it to her, I was like, it's basically Devil Wears Prada, but in the food world. It's real satisfying. But with this whole historical fiction angle. Totally. So satisfying. Because the part at the mat where she's working at the magazine is only part of the book. Right. But we won't tell you why. Right. It's great. I'm I'm not done with it, but I am loving this book so much. And there's also a lot about like small business, small food businesses in New York City that I really loved. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot to love about this book. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that the last Wednesday in April. And in the meantime, if you would like more of us, uh, come join our Facebook group, which again is where we got all these questions. So be on the lookout and follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. Yeah, go do that. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and my blog is thestripe.com. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman, and I also uh, co-write and direct a fiction podcast called Rom-Com Pods, and season three is coming June 7th. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.